Welcome to The Resting Pendulum. I am Peter Codius, your host. Our music is under license from scottholmesmusic.com. Episode 4, Systemic Racism, Chapter 2, Democrats versus Republicans. I was speaking just yesterday to a longtime friend that lives in the South, and I mentioned the topic of Episode 4 to him. Before I could even begin, he asked me sarcastically, Is Harlem still in New York? How about Co-op City? Is that still there also? From personal experience, I could say that anyone that mistakes Southern speech and mannerisms for a lack of intellect is a fool. He was just having some fun at my expense. But for those of you that have never heard of Co-op City, it's a part of the Bronx there, and it's the largest residential housing development in the United States, having over 43,000 residents. It would make for an interesting story all by itself. You remember when I mentioned in previous episodes that everyone has a bias, and I admitted that we have one too. The facts, however, have no bias because they are what they are, whether good or bad, fair or unjust. Keeping this in mind, let's review the past month, then a little more detailed analysis of what benefits blacks receive from decades of loyalty to the Democrat Party and what Republicans have brought to the table. Over the course of the past month, we have witnessed the Democrat Party and how they continue to use tragedy and turmoil to their political advantage by utilizing their expertise at pandering. First, to the martyring of George Floyd, which in my mind was disgusting. Then supporting the peaceful demonstrators. Then those that destroyed and looted in the name of its only stuff, to the taking over a portion of Seattle, to the immediate cry to defund police and hold every last one of them accountable for every action, all the while completely ignoring the stay-at-home, do-not-congregate, and to maintain social distancing. To their credit, their knee-jerk strategy has proven time and again to work for them. They resist any idea that comes from Republicans and continue their obsession with destroying the president. And their base is okay with all of this. Republicans have no say in the House, which controls spending, so any compromise is off the table. Uh, Democrats will not cooperate in the Senate, so every issue there is a battle. And I have said before, members of both parties need to be held accountable. And the only thing that we can do is to support imposing term limits or to completely eliminate lobbyists. It would be great if both of them came to pass. On to chapter two. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson signed into law the Civil Rights Act And by doing that, 
received 94% of the black vote. The act itself helped to end apartheid conditions in the South, which I loosely referenced in Chapter 1. However, it did little to modify the way life was for blacks in many major cities, especially those in the North. The reason for this was the writers of legislation were primarily from the North and focused their attention on acting more strongly toward issues in the Southern states. As I also told you in Chapter 1, that when I returned to the Northeast after five years in the Deep South, I noticed racism, but it was wrapped in a pretty wrapper with a bow on top. While in the Deep South, it was delivered like a cold shower. An interesting article appeared in The Atlantic in 2016 titled, When Black Voters Exited Left. The article also mentioned what blacks lost by doing this. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson ran on the Civil Rights Act and his great society, while Barry Goldwater was claiming the act itself was unconstitutional. It was after this presidential election that blacks felt they only had the single option of supporting Democrats. And we all know, well, most of us know anyway, how that election turned out. The score was 486 to 52. Someone of a slaughter. A few years down the road, the Urban League's executive director at the time, Whitney Young, stated, Liberalism seems to be related to the distance people are from the problem. Think about that. What is astonishing to me is black people in general are spiritual and very moderate in their political beliefs. Of course, later generations became entrenched in Democrat politics, even though the results of Democrat policies never lifted them up to true equal status. As history shows us, they had the opposite effect of segregating blacks economically, rather strictly by their color. Think about that. The color of their skin didn't have anything to do with their opportunity, only had to do with where they ended up. Telling someone they are equal and not treating them as equal are two distinctly different facts. So while segregationist policy changed in the South, life went on in the pseudo-segregationist North. What made matters worse is that whites thought the legislation worked directly against them rather than as a boost to blacks. As we witness today, some 56 years later, it did not quite work out the way that it was sold. There were so many elements missing, particularly as it pertained to jobs, urban renewal, and poverty. Bill Clinton, who many refer to as the first black president, won election largely with 83 and 84 percent of the black vote both times he ran. He then adopted policies to address welfare reform, personal responsibility, and work reform in 1996 that, by most accounts, 
proved to be disastrous for blacks, especially in the area of crime and mass incarceration. Schools were in bad condition and failing, and there was no plan to improve them. The subsequent Obama administration went all in on the Affordable Care Act and pretty much remained center of the road from that point forward. Our first somewhat black president did little to lift blacks. What has happened as a result of these less-than-adequate policies is that blacks have little leverage with the Democrat Party. They're a known, almost guaranteed vote, and they get nothing in return. If they play their cards right, which I doubt they'll do, they are in a great position to negotiate with Republicans. But Democrats in the Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson race-baiting industry would never support that. So I ask you, after all we have witnessed in our lifetime, what successful policies have Democrats implemented to offer a hand up that would lift blacks from their predicament? Now all Americans can do is to endure the endless resist effort, absent doing anything productive for anyone. As I mentioned in Chapter 1, all Democrats know is how to manipulate segregated identities and promise them the moon. In the recent CARES Act, brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, funding for higher education included $9 million for Harvard, a private institution with the largest university endowment in the world of $41 billion. After President Trump publicly criticized them, Harvard did the right thing, as did Stanford and other wealthy universities. They chose to leave the money for schools that had a greater need, but they were in the original act, written by Democrats. Here we go again with a fact. Donald Trump has done more to support blacks, particularly in higher education, than most presidents in that area, as well as the area of jobs. In December of 2019, black unemployment was at a historical low. Black employment participation was at a historical high. No other president of either party went as far as Trump when he signed a bipartisan bill that would provide more than $250 per million, that is, per year to historically black colleges and universities, along with dozens of other institutions that serve large numbers of minority students. Betsy DeVos, who we hardly ever hear about, also played an important role in pushing for these institutions in the CARES Act. Donald Trump may not be popular in the mainstream media and with a lot of people, but he is to these folks. In every election cycle, Democrats point to the Republican Party as one that does not support blacks or women. In a recent PragerU five-minute video, Carol Swain, a black woman, addresses facts 
about the Republican Party, facts that are very easy to find. I'll present some highlights for your consideration. After the establishment of the Republican Party in 1854, at their first convention in 1856, they addressed two pillars of bigotry, polygamy and slavery, because they feared as the country expanded westward, if they didn't stop these practices, they would continue and expand. Just six weeks after Abraham Lincoln was sworn in as the first Republican president, South Carolina voted to succeed from the Union, thereby causing the Civil War, which led to the passage by Republicans of the 13th Amendment, which freed the slaves, the 14th Amendment, which granted them citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which gave them the right to vote. In 1870, the first black senator and the first black congressman were sworn in. Both were Republicans. In fact, every black member of the House until 1935 was a Republican, and every black senator until 1979 was also a Republican. The first female member of Congress was a Republican. The first Hispanic governor, the first female senator, were both Republicans. The first Asian senator was Republican. In 1862, the Morrill Anti-Bigamy Act was passed by the Republican-controlled Congress to protect women's rights. In 1920, after 52 years of opposition, the 19th Amendment was ratified by a Republican Congress to give women the right to vote, which forced the Democrat President Woodrow Wilson to drop his opposition of it and sign it into law. What's interesting, and something you should note, in the final tally of that vote, only 59% of House Democrats and 41% of Senate Democrats voted yes, while 91% of House Republicans and 82% of Senate Republicans voted yes. If there was a war on women, it was led by Democrats. The fight to protect blacks continued, and in the 1920s, Republican President Calvin Coolidge declared the rights of blacks are just as sacred as those of any other citizen. By contrast, the famed Olympian Jesse Owens, after winning four gold medals at Nazi Germany, was snubbed by Democrat President Franklin Delano Roosevelt as he only invited white Olympians to the White House. Two decades later, it was a Republican president, Dwight Eisenhower, who sent the 101st Airborne Division to Arkansas to escort black students into Little Rock's Central High School after Democrat Governor Orville Faubus ignored a court order to integrate public schools. The Civil Rights Act of 1960 was filibustered by 18 Democrats for 125 hours to keep blacks from voting 
Not a single Republican opposed the bill. Due to overwhelming Republican support, a filibuster was avoided for the follow-up civil rights bill in 1964, which is one of the landmark cases in American history. So you ask, what have Republicans done for women and blacks lately? Not much. You see, Republicans treat everyone equally. It's the Democrats that continue to treat them as victims. Thank you for listening. And remember, do the right thing the right way for the right reason. Until next time.